Ready. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4 there. Before we read this uh, portion here, just a couple verses I'll read to you. You don't need to turn there, but in Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And in uh, 1 John chapter 2, um, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Uh, for over two decades, uh, a defiant, cocky man by the name of Napoleon. Uh, he had created turmoil in Europe. Uh, despite his small stature, he was only five feet, two inches. Uh, he caused great trouble uh, for the people around him. In a bid to regain some of the power that he had lost due to a forced exile, Napoleon led his armies in a swath of devastation across the battlefields of Europe. On June 18, 1815, Napoleon and his armies faced the Allied armies of England, Prussia, Russia, Austria, Belgium, and the Netherlands, who were led by the Duke of Wellington. Before the battle commenced, Napoleon, speaking to his commanding officer, said, we will put our infantry here, uh, the cavalry over there, and, and the artillery in that spot. And at the end of the day, England will be at the feet of France. And Wellington will be the prisoner of Napoleon. He had an officer uh, who reminds me of Daniel, as we're going to look at today. But he, his response was this. Uh, but we must not forget that man proposes and God disposes. <laughs> With his typical arrogance, Napoleon stood as straight and as tall as his five-foot, two-inch frame would allow. And this is what he replied. I want you to understand, sir, that Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. Victor Hugo, the writer, penned these words concerning the battle. From that moment... Waterloo was lost, for God had sent rain and hail so that the troops of Napoleon could not maneuver as they had planned. And on the night of that battle, it was Napoleon who was the prisoner of Wellington, and France was at the feet of England. You see, brothers and sisters, pride is a ruthless taskmaster, is it not? It will convince us that we have all the answers and that we know better than even God. This passage that we're going to read today gives us the testimony of a man who had to learn a harsh lesson about the sin and pride that was in his own heart. And in this message, I want us to see how the most powerful man in that day was made the prisoner of God. We're going to see how God works in the lives of people to get them where he wants them to be. It is God who proposes and God who disposes. Um, but let's turn here and look. Uh, Daniel chapter 4. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. Now it's interesting here. You'll notice that the beginning of this chapter is written in first person. It's very, very interesting, isn't it? Here you've got Nebuchadnezzar himself speaking. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. That doesn't sound like Nebuchadnezzar, does it? Hey, we're gonna, next week, Brian's going to uh, uh, go into that more about this, this transformation of Nebuchadnezzar. But here in verse 4, he says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was at rest in my house flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they, make, make, they, they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Now, those who have been paying attention with us, this seems odd, doesn't it? Because hasn't he tried this already? Right? Do you remember? Right? 
They could not tell him his dream. They could not tell him the interpretation of the dream. He had a decree to have them all killed, and it was Daniel, right, that saved their lives. But here, not to, it's about 25 years later that this story takes place, and Nebuchadnezzar still has not learned. He calls for them, and so then the magicians in verse... uh, uh, verse 7, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream. This time, he doesn't even make them tell them the dream. He tells them the dream, right? But they did not make known to me its interpretation. Big surprise. But at last, Daniel came before me. I don't know. This is my, my healthy imagination here. Remember, Daniel now is brought to second in command. He's head of all the wise men, right? So typically, I think what would happen is, he would always give the opportunity for the other wise men to enter first. And then, uh, in glorious fashion here, Daniel would come in after, after they have failed in their attempts. Daniel, of course, at last came before uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, his name is uh, Belteshazzar, and we're going to talk about that later. According to the same, according to the name of my God, and him is the spirit of the holy God, and I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the Spirit of the Holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my head on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. And all flesh was fed with it, or from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a a holy one, coming down from heaven. Most likely an angel. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast." And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. If I had to have a theme verse of this chapter, right, or if we wanted to ask our questions, why did this happen? <laughs> this story that we're going to look at today. I would say it's this right here, and I'll read it again in verse 17. Right? This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whoever He wills and sets it over, sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen, now you... Belshazzar, declare uh, its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. Uh, the king can actually see that Daniel, he knows already the interpretation of this and it troubles him so much that the king can see that. And he says, Daniel, don't let it bother you. Just tell me. And then here, Daniel, I'm not sure what he means by this. I think that when he says, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, I think he's saying, listen, I think a lot of your enemies are going to love this interpretation. Your enemies are going to love what I'm going to tell you about this interpretation. And he says, the tree that you saw in verse 20 which grew and it became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, right? um, who have grown and become strong. Um, 
For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from the heavens saying, chop down the tree, destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him gaze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times, or seven years, shall pass over you till you know what the Most High rules in the kingdom, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whoever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. It's interesting, you can hear the almost the voice of Nathan, right? When he's talking to David, remember he shares the story of the sheep and someone stole the sheep. And when David says, listen, that man should be killed, right? You hear Nathan, just as you hear with Daniel, it is you, David. Here he says, it is you, O king, that this interpretation is about. And so after he explains this whole thing to him about what's going to happen, right? That he is going to be, his kingdom is going to be taken away from him. And not just that, he's going to act like an animal for seven years. He's going to be out there with the beast. He's been acting like a beast this whole time. And so God says, okay, you want to act like a beast? You're going to be a beast for seven years. And look at the response from Nebuchadnezzar here in verse 29. At the end of the 12 months, so a year has gone by, right? A whole year has gone by. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, now consider again what we started our, our message off of this morning here. Speaking of Napoleon and this idea of pride as a ruthless taskmaster. taskmaster. It says, The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from the men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. The Lord will bless the reading of his word again uh, this morning. Uh, let's just ask for the Lord's help. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this story. Uh, we are grateful uh, for your precious word. And so we would ask this morning uh, that you would allow us to hear your voice. There are so many voices that, that compete for yours in our lives. Even now, perhaps, as some are sitting here, there, there may be so many things that are on their minds, so many things that are just tra- distracting them. Uh, Lord God, I pray that we just might be able to kind of hone all those things out. I know there are a lot of things going on in people's lives. There are a lot of people who are hurting. Um, Lord God, we pray that we might be able to just listen to your voice this morning. And if we were to hear your voice this morning, I would ask that we would not harden our hearts. Lord God, that uh, your uh, Holy Spirit uh, would it be able to illuminate these truths into our hearts and to our minds so that we can apply them in such a way that our lives are honoring and glorifying to you. Uh, we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, what I want to look at is I want to look at three things this morning regarding Nebuchadnezzar. I want to look at the power of Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to look at the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. And then we're going to look at the punishment of Nebuchadnezzar. And then, like I said, uh, we're going to hand it over to Brian next week. Um, we're we're going to see what happens as a result of that. All right, but let's look at the power of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. First, I want to look at the span, the span of his power. Uh, you'll see there in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all of Babylon. Is that what it says? 
Oh, no. Actually, no, it doesn't. It says, to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. His span was worldwide. Okay? There was no one greater than Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? We've talked about that even with the, the gold head and the image there of, of Babylon. Right? His empire was amazing. Right? And it spanned over so many. Right? And he's at a point now where he's put down everyone. Right? He's, he's sitting and enjoying now uh, the spoils, if you will, of his victories. <clears throat> and so we see the span of his powers in all the earth, right? But what was the source of his power? What was the source of Nebuchadnezzar's power, right? Well, if you uh, look there, right, in verse 2, it's interesting. He says, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for for me. Um, he kind of acknowledges here almost that at this point when he's writing this, uh, the source of his power. But I'll even show you another one here. Uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 43, a very interesting verse here. <clears throat> we read this earlier, I believe, I believe Ryan, Brian may have shared this way back in the beginning of our uh, study of Daniel. But there's an interesting phrase here that the Spirit of God uses in the uh, Scriptures here. Jeremiah chapter 43, remember, that, that's uh, prophetic here, talking about what was going to happen. And... Jeremiah 43, verse 10 says, And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, now listen to this, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal pavilion over them. You remember, the reason why Israel is now <laughs> excuse me, in Babylon is because this was God's purpose, right? This was God's judgment on the people of Israel. Right? And so here, Nebuchadnezzar, right, the source of his power was who? God. The only reason he was able to take the, the nation of Israel is because God allowed it. In fact, he refers to Nebuchadnezzar here as his servant. Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant in bringing judgment to the people of God. And not to go back on that, but we looked at that already as far as why they were in exile, why they were in Babylon. But we see the span of Nebuchadnezzar's power. We see the source of his power was that of God. But we also see the shame of his power. Okay. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was a great and powerful king, he failed to recognize or even acknowledge God in his life. In fact, we read that he took the vessels right, of worship from the temple in Jerusalem and he brought them to Babylon to be offered as a tribute to his God. Here is a man who is living his life independently from God who cares nothing for the will of God in his life. It's interesting that we read in verse 4, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house. Interesting he would say the word at rest, right? You see, this is a deceitful rest, right? Of a false security. Right? So God sent him the vision to arouse him from his false security. Now, this could be said of literally billions of people today, right? They possess physical life. They possess clarity of thought, reasonable intelligence. But they are as dead to the things of God as if they were already in their graves. Right? This type of person takes life for granted. They ignore God. They ignore His gospel while they advance steadily day by day towards the fires of hell. Uh, take a look at Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1. The, uh, this idea of Nebuchadnezzar, right, really parallels um, the world in which we live in today. Uh, Romans actually describes it beautifully. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, right, it says here um, in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So you see this suppression of truth. 
right? The, uh, in your, in your um, margin, you might even have that idea of suppression means to hold it down, right? They hold down the truth. It's not that they don't know the truth, right? In fact, it says here that it was supplied to them in verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Don't let the world tell you for one moment that they, they never knew about God. Romans tells us right here that God has shown himself to them. It has been supplied to them. Right? They have just chosen to suppress the truth, even though the truth was supplied to them. But then it goes on, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God has supplied the truth to the world. Not only inside themselves, but also in what they see around them. But in verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, you see the supplanting of truth there. Okay. It wasn't that the truth was not provided. Okay, We're going to look at here with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was given firsthand a view of the power of God. right? But he chose to supplant that truth. right? Chose to, to hold it down. To not acknowledge that truth. And so we see that even today, right? Millions of people in this world today. Billions of people in the same boat. Right? But it's not just in the world, is it? <laughs> right? We see it sometimes in the church. Consider the Laodiceans, right? What does it say about them? I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Really? <laughs> How are they doing today? But that's where the church is today, right? The church is full. It's fat, right? We've become rich and we feel we don't need God. There are many in the church today who profess to be saved, but they live their lives independently from God. Maybe something comes up in your life and your first um, impulse, right, is to open up a credit card instead of maybe praying. Maybe your first impulse is to turn on the TV instead of maybe reading your Bible. Right? You could, we can go on and on. You can see how we, we live our lives independently of God. We don't have any evidence in our lives that we're dependent on God. The only time we ever go to Him is when there's some crisis, some emergency. But if someone looked at the time that we spend in our lives, how much of it is actually given to dependency on God? Not much. I dare say there's even people in the church that when it comes to fellowship, if they looked at their own lives, they could actually see that they actually have more fellowship with non-believers than believers. Man. And so here we, we see a, a man who, tremendous power. We see the span of his power and we, we, we see the source of his power, right? But we see the shame of his power. He's a man who has need of nothing, and so he lives independently of God. And there are many that live that way today as well. But also, not just the power of King Nebuchadnezzar, right? We see the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. And the sad thing is that the pride of Nebuchadnezzar had blinded him of God's power. It blinded him. Remember, we, we go back to what we've already learned, right? Uh, in chapter 2, he has a dream, right? None of his wise men can tell him what the dream is, let alone interpret it, right? And so someone says there, that uh, Daniel comes in and says, listen, I, I can interpret the dream, right? Look at verse 28 of chapter 2, of Daniel chapter 2. When he's telling the king, hey, listen, this secret, right? Uh, your soothsayers, they cannot declare that to you. But he says this, he says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And he goes on to explain it, right? He's brought face to face with the power of God, the, the power of the God of Israel. Right? He's confronted with the truth of who God is. Hey, 
in Mechazed, there's a God who reveals secrets. He can reveal yours. Right? But if that wasn't enough, right? Look at verse 37. It says, you, so he tells him this is the dream, and then he says, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Even Daniel testifies to the source of, of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's power. But he tells the king, right? He was reminded that he was where he was by the power of God. He was told that by Daniel. Yet, look at Nebuchadnezzar's response. Right? Look at verse 46. When Daniel tells him, hey, listen, there's a God who reveals secrets. He's the God that puts you where you are. You think you got there by yourself? No, God got you there. And then he reveals the dream. Tells him the interpretation. Look at Nebuchadnezzar in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before God. Not before God. Before Daniel. And commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And his response is worshiping Daniel instead of God. He even proclaims, right, that the God of Daniel was a God among gods. A great God, no doubt. But just one among many. And then, of course, what does he do after that, right? He builds an image himself. Right? Make no mistake. I mean, here Daniel talks about this image, right, in his dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, I'm going to build my own. Right? And he builds this giant statue of himself. Right? And ordering men to worship it. Here's a man who had experienced God's power in his life firsthand, but was totally blind and indifferent to what the Lord was doing for him and around him. And it was his pride that blinded him of that. But listen, it didn't even blind him of God's power. His pride blinded him of God's person. Right? Here in, in, in the fiery furnace, right? He looks in there and says, wait a minute, didn't we put three guys in there? I see a fourth one, and and it's almost as if it's the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar is brought face to face with God Himself. He even sees the Lord in the furnace with the three Hebrew boys. Yet at the end of the day, he comes short, right? Look at verse 29 of chapter 3. After he sees God himself in the furnace, he makes a decree. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Nebuchadnezzar? No. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made of ash heap, and so on. See, at the end of the day, he comes short of a total commitment to the Lord of heaven. When he speaks of God, he still lumps God in with all the other gods. He refers to God as being their God. Not his God, but their God. He is indifferent to the personal ministry of God in his life. Again, doesn't Nebuchadnezzar represent billions of people in this world? Right? They are confronted with God and his power every day. And when the heat is on in their lives, they even get a little religious but they stop short of total commitment. Whether it be the commitment of coming to God for salvation or that of totally committing one's life to Him. They refuse to get to that point of total commitment and total dependency on God because of their pride. Because they're too proud. And here we see Nebuchadnezzar, his pride blinded him to the power of God. It blinded him to the person of God. But even more so in this story, it's amazing, it blinded him to the prophecy of God. Right? Here Daniel tells him what's going to happen. And his pride still blinded him to the prophecy. Daniel, of course, is called to interpret the dream again. And and, uh, he does so. And Daniel is uh, forced to tell the king that the dream is a prophecy of his oncoming judgment. It's going to be about you, king. And we know that Daniel does this with a heavy heart. Uh, The prophecy, of course, is one of judgment. A judgment that is designed to forever break the hand or the hard heart and will of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's going to bring him to a place of total dependence 
upon the Lord. As Daniel uh, closes his comments there, he pleads with Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to look at that in a second. Um, Yet, uh, even after uh, Daniel tells him the dream and tells him the interpretation of it and how the judgment is coming to Nebuchadnezzar, right? he still continues to live in pride and arrogance. He still refuses to acknowledge God and he still refuses to submit to his will. Okay? We just read there in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 4. right? He's, he's literally walking around, it's 12 months later, and he is patting himself on the back. Man, look at what I did. And it's all for me. It's for my glory. And the words don't even leave his mouth when judgment comes to Nebuchadnezzar. Brother says we've got to be careful that pride does not blind us to the things that are going on in our lives. We see a great parallel again between this man and many people who live in our world and fill our church pews. Right? There's no fear of God in their lives. No regard for the plain word of God. They live their lives as though God is some doting old grandfather. And they forget that He's a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment. That was the problem with Nebuchadnezzar. As well as the problem with our own hearts. Right? We live indifferent to the will and the word of God. And it can be summed up with one word. Pride. Pride. We think we know better than God. We think we know what we need. God doesn't, doesn't really know exactly what I need. I don't have to listen to exactly everything God says. Right, the first sin that was ever committed was a sin of what? Sin of pride. Right? Isaiah 14, 14, right? You have one of God's leading angels, Lucifer, beautiful angel, and what does he say? Listen, I want to be like the Most High. He wasn't satisfied with what God had given him, right? He was too proud for that. And so sin came in and they were cast out of heaven, right? But then it didn't, shortly after that happened here on earth, didn't it? The very, really first sin again was, you know, the serpent deceiving Eve saying, listen, did God really say, right? He, he forgot to tell you is that when you take that fruit, you will be like God. What does Adam and Eve do? They take it. They disobey God and they sin. It's interesting too that, right, uh, there are six sins that God hates. Seven are an abomination to him. You know what the first one is? A proud look. Out of all the ones that are listed, hands that shed innocent blood, a lying tongue, all the ones that are there, the first one is a proud look. That's how God feels about pride. He hates it. He hates it. In fact, it, it says that uh, God resists the proud. He resists them but gives grace to the humble. You see, God cannot bless pride when it dwells within your life and mine. When we humble ourselves under God's hand, He will bless our lives for His glory. But listen, pride only brings pain. It brings pain, but humility brings blessings. I, um, I was reminded even as I was meditating on this in my own life um, that I hope is helpful in trying to understand this is... Um, so I had the privilege of serving at Camp Berea my entire life. Um, as a kid, we went, James and I, because my dad was a counselor and a director of boys camp. This is Camp Berea up in Newfound Lake in New Hampshire. And uh, at a very young age, I wanted to be involved with camp ministry. So I think the youngest you could be is 13. You could do staff in training. Uh, you could be a counselor in training. So very shortly, by 14, 15 years old, I was at Camp Berea all summer. Um, whether it was start off as maintenance then you became an archery instructor, became a, uh, the uh, recreation director there, um, to eventually they made me the program director, where I was in charge of all of the camp sessions during the summer. I was the director. And um, I said, I'm very thankful for my, my time there at camp. But there was one particular summer where, you know, you, you uh, become prideful. Okay? I was very proud. Um, I thought I was the best thing that ever happened to Camp Berea. And, uh, and with that, with that, you do things that you look back now, you're like, what are you doing? So one, we had a curfew, right? You had to be in your cabins by 11 o'clock at night. You certainly couldn't leave camp. And me and some buddies of mine, we thought, hey, it was cool. Let's sneak out of camp, right? We wait till everybody's asleep, wait till the guys that go around, check the cabins. And then we get in there and we push the car all the way out past campgrounds and we go hang out at night, you know, past midnight, one in the morning. 
um, because that was the cool thing to do, right? It was, you thought that was uh, fun, <laughs> right? And it was, that's just an example of things that I kind of did that summer that, um, for whatever reason, like I said, I thought I was the, uh, the, the, the next best thing next to sliced bread, you know? Um, so what's happened is that the summer was over and, uh, sometime in the, in the winter, I think, um, I got a letter from Ron Ward. He was the executive director of, um, of camp who I knew really well. We were friends with their families. And, uh, I got a letter saying that I was not allowed to come back to Camp Berea. Now, if you got a letter like that, right, you might've been like, oh man, I messed up. Not me. You know what my first thought was? Who do they think they are? Do they know who I am? Brother sister, I'm telling you the truth. Okay? And then my next thought was, I heard what Ron Ward used to do when he was my age. I was like, who is he to sit there and send me a letter? And brothers and sisters, pride <laughs> just swelled up in me. To the point where this brother was willing to meet me halfway to talk. And the reason I was going to meet with him was to give him a piece of my mind. I was going to tell him all the things I've done for Camp Rhea. And how dare they say I can't come back to Camp Rhea. But you know what? The Lord did a work in me. From that time that we set a date, we were going to meet somewhere halfway at some Denny's. Um, it may have been days or weeks before we could actually do it. God started working on me. Um, he humbled me. He broke me. Uh, to the point that when I met with Ron <clears throat> that morning breakfast, I sat at the table and I wept. I said, listen, I want you to know that I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Breaking camp rules and, and doing things I shouldn't be doing. Um, would you please forgive me? And you know what? God blessed me for that. It was that Ron, you know, he hated to send me that letter. And he said, listen, John, I'm so sorry. You know, we didn't want to send you that letter, but we see you kind of in a point in your life where, you know, um, we don't like the way you're heading. You know? And I said, listen, I completely understand. And by God's grace, he said, listen, if you want to come back to camp next year, you can come. You know? Um, but brothers and sisters, listen, pride is a ruthless taskmaster. It creeps in and it takes over. Uh, and it blinds us. It blinds us to our sin, our own sin in our lives. <clears throat> but um, the last one I want to get to is the punishment of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, but before we even get into that, <clears throat> I just want to look at something here in Daniel chapter 4, which really blessed my heart. And that's the pleading of Daniel. Um, Daniel here gives the interpretation of the dream. And when he gets done, look at verse 27 of chapter 4. Because we already know how troubled Daniel was, right? Uh, in verse 19, we read how he's really upset that, that this is the interpretation of the dream. And again, think about who Nebuchadnezzar is. Nebuchadnezzar is the guy that took him from his home, killed his family, right? Nebuchadnezzar is the guy that Daniel can never have a family now. Daniel will never get married. Daniel will never go back home, right? He's taking everything from Daniel, Right? And, and look at Daniel here. He says, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. And there are three things I notice here about Daniel's pleading here, right? One, it was instantaneous. It was instantaneous. Here, God gives him another opportunity to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian empire, right? Whom Daniel is a prisoner of, Right? And it made me think of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, preach the word in season. It says, actually, be instant in season, out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Man, Daniel lived that out here. Here was an opportunity where he realized, okay, I can share the gospel with this king. Right? Paul proved that, right? Remember, he stood before Festus and Agrippa. Right? Paul had his set, mindset on going to Rome, but here God gave him an opportunity. He's standing there before King Agrippa. And he says, well, let, me, let me tell you something about Christ. Right? Brothers and sisters, we have to be instantaneous, right? Be ready. Be ready to give an answer uh, for the hope that lies within us with all meekness. But not only was it instantaneous, right? It was incisive. It was incisive. He doesn't say, hey, oh, King, listen, I, I really, I think that you should consider, you know, um, Changing your ways, being good or being better, right? No, he says, listen, you've got a sin problem. <laughs> Break off from your sins. 
Right? T- today, brothers and sisters, we have opportunities to share the gospel. And I feel like the world doesn't hear today that they're sinners. They're sinners. They're cut off from fellowship with God. They're on their way to hell. And listen, I, I, uh, I got to uh, listen to a, uh, I don't know if you know our brother Ray Gonzalez. His uh, assembly had a marriage conference this weekend. And I was able to tune in for one of the sessions yesterday. And the brother was sharing. His very first session uh, with marriage conference was this. He goes, until you get brought to an enlightenment where you're the problem. <laughs> he goes, you can't, you can't fix anything. I said, wow, how true is that? That every one of us, we came to that enlightenment in our own lives with salvation, right? We came to a point where we're like, wait a minute, I have a problem. I'm a sinner, right? My sins, right, have broken my relationship with God. They have cut me off. And we need to let the world know that, right? Daniel here says, listen, break off your sins by being righteous, okay? But not only that, right? Not only was his pleading instantaneous, right, instantaneous and incisive, right, but it was ignored. (laughs) I don't know if that's encouraging you, but I was extremely encouraged by that, actually. Here's Daniel again. (laughs) If anyone would have been saved through someone's life, it would be Nebuchadnezzar, right? Through Daniel's life. Look at all the things he's seen and heard from Daniel, right? And yet, even here when Daniel says, King, here's your chance. Break off from your sins. We already leave 12, 12 months later, a year later. Nope, not for the king. Right? He ignores Daniel's plea. Right? And so if Daniel could not witness the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, I am determined right, on trying to be my human best filled with the Spirit. I am not going to let the apathy in people discourage me or dissuade me. Guys, it's, it's discouraging to me. There are people that I, I've been able to share the gospel with and you get to a point where like, man, I think we're going to get on our knees right now and we're going to pray. But they refuse. Over and over and over again in my life. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? You, you've given me an opportunity here. Like, clearly there was a, there was a, a, a moment here. That my colleagues asked me a question. I was able to give the gospel. They must be searching. Man, why can't I witness their conversion? But I'm not going to let that discourage or dissuade me anymore. Daniel couldn't even witness Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. After all that Nebuchadnezzar had seen, here even in this moment where he could have repented, Nebuchadnezzar ignored Daniel's plea. Let's just go to the last one really quickly here. The punishment of Nebuchadnezzar. So we looked at his power. We looked at his pride. Let's look at the punishment of Nebuchadnezzar. First, let's look at the delay of his punishment. Okay, we already said that it's been 12 months. So it's been a year. It's been a year since he had this dream, since Daniel told him what was going to happen. It's been 12 months now. One year before judgment came. So I wonder if during this time, Nebuchadnezzar has probably written off the prophecy of his judgment as the babbling of a foolish man. I don't know. Or maybe he thought about it for 12 months. I mean, it doesn't seem so just because we see where he's at in his pride. You know, 12 months later. Um, but I think there's an important thing to note here is that God's delay in sending judgment should never be misinterpreted. <laughs> okay? God's delay in sending his judgment should never be misinterpreted. You never get away with sin. Never. Okay? Um, we're familiar with, uh, this is interesting here in uh, Ecclesiastes. Again, you don't have to turn there if you want, but I just want to read this to you. It's interesting verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Look what it says here. It says, um, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Did you catch that? Okay, listen, sometimes, right, the, the judgment is not executed speedily. And so there's a delay in the judgment. And we see that today, right? God yet has not judged the earth, right? We're waiting for that time where God is going to do so, right? And so the sons of men, right, people today, they just think that it's okay, then I can keep doing evil. I'm just going to keep doing it, just like Nebuchadnezzar here. Um, but that's not the case. In fact, in uh, in Proverbs chapter 29, it says this. Um, Proverbs 29, verse 1, it says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Okay? And so here you have 
this delay here uh, of judgment. Okay? Beware how you treat the patience and long-suffering of God. If God is calling you to repent, I urge you not to trifle. <laughs> Don't trifle. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7 says, He can by no means clear the guilty. Right? Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he reap also. Numbers 32, 23, Be sure your sin will find you out. There's a quote here. It says, While the wheels of God's wrath may grind slow, they grind exceedingly fine. And then, of course, we know in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So, beware how you treat the patience and long-suffering of God. So we see the delay of His punishment, but look at the depth of His punishment, right? When judgment came, it was swift and it was complete, right? Nebuchadnezzar lost his power, he lost his glory, he lost his kingdom, he lost his wealth, Everything that he had boasted in was taken away and he lived like an animal. Now, some may think that actually uh, he was afflicted with something called lycanthropy. It's actually a mental condition where uh, people live like an animal. Whether it's true or not, we know that God said, hey, listen, you're going to act like an animal and boom, then judgment came. Um, but it's a, it's a serious mental condition. Obviously, this king, um, it's just amazing to me. I, to even try to fathom this, right? When we talk about how great King Nebuchadnezzar was. Remember, we, we looked at early in this, in this portion, uh, early in this series, where whoever he wanted to execute, he executed. Whoever he wanted to spare, he spared. He had ultimate power and reign. And now he's out eating grass. He's in a field eating grass. He's soaked because of the dew from the morning. Like, He's an animal. His hair is as long as eagle's feathers now, right? His nails have grown like, you know, talons. He's an animal. He's a beast. But what a contrast. The depth of this judgment, right? This, this great king, before whom millions trembled in fear, had been reduced to a pathetic, repulsive, ugly beast. God knew how to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention, didn't he? Do you think he knows how to get your attention? Just for the record, God also knows how to get our attention too. Right? He knows what it will take to turn your heart to him. And he will not hesitate to touch that area of life where the need arises. He knows the area of life that you still refuse to give to him. He knows it. So we see the depth of the punishment. But the last thing here is the duration of his punishment. Nebuchadnezzar is told that his judgment will continue. And we know it says seven years, but notice what it says there. In um, I think it's verse 25 and 26, it says that his judgment will continue until he comes to a place where he acknowledges God as his ruler. It was conditional. God said, listen, you know, Daniel says, listen, you're going to go... You're, everything's going to be taken away from you. You're going to act like an animal until you recognize who God is, until you acknowledge Him. Now, whether He could have done that earlier, and maybe it wouldn't have lasted seven years, or like I said, because God knew it was going to take Him seven years before He came to that point, uh, still, it was until He would acknowledge God as His ruler. So He remained there for seven years. Okay? Listen, brothers and sisters, the Lord's chastisement doesn't have to last forever. Right? He wants us to come to a place where we acknowledge Him as ruler in our lives. Right? He wants us to come to that. He, the chastisement doesn't have to last forever. And even when it comes to this world, right? what's the number one thing we hear from the unsaved all the time? Well, how does God, a good God, allow bad things to happen in the world? Well, here's a very simple reason. How about He continues to allow it to happen until the world acknowledges that they need Him? <laughs> That's why bad things keep happening. Because the world refuses to acknowledge God. It's the same with Nebuchadnezzar. One thing after another, so finally says, okay, man, that's it. <laughs> you know what? I'm taking everything from you. Okay? And then he finally acknowledged him as ruler in his life. Okay? Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 says this. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, 
we would not be judged. If we would just judge ourselves. Listen, judge yourselves. Don't let God judge you. Okay? Those areas in our lives, we know what they are. Surrender them to God. But in conclusion here, so we see that the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, right, it, it blinded him of God's power, it blinded him of God's person, and it blinded him of God's prophecy. And so perhaps this morning you are a lot like Nebuchadnezzar, right? You've seen the hand of God in your own life, but you refuse to bow to him in total surrender, right? You may consider yourself religious, but you stop short of total commitment. Surrender your life to him today. And then, of course, God cannot bless pride when it dwells in your life. Can't bless it. Humble yourself under the hand of God and he will bless your life for his glory. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you again uh, for who you are. Um, Certainly may we not uh, take um, your patience and your long-suffering and uh, mistake that for the fact that you are a just God. You um, are certainly a God who judges and... um, Lord God, we just, uh, we would pray that, uh, certainly that pride would not have any area in our lives, that, that you would humble us, that we would clothe ourselves in humility, um, uh, just as your son did. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and, and took the nature of a servant. And so we're, pray that we would humble ourselves so that you don't have to. Um, Lord God, we want to, Humble ourselves because your word says you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so we, we want you to, to bless our lives for your glory. And we know we can't do that when there's pride there. So we, uh, again, thank you for your precious word. Uh, we just uh, ask you to bless the reading of your word again this morning. Pray that we could go out there um, today in this world and, um, you know, um, be instantaneous and, and be incisive, even when the world ignores us. Uh, Lord God, may it not um, deter us from what you've called us to do. May we not um, become discouraged in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with the lost world. Um, So we just, uh, again, thank you for our time together, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.